Just with Revelation, we could do review for weeks and weeks and weeks, couldn't we? It's a little bit of a challenge to kind of get back in the flow. So what we're going to do today, to start off, we're going to look at our major timeline. Um, which is a little clearer for us here, but hopefully you've got those at your disposal close by. If you don't have one at all, would like when I've got some up here. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh my own out. So we stopped, we finished through Revelation chapter 9, and chapter 9 has the, the trumpets. So let's, let's kind of back up. We got the seven years. How do we know the seven years starts? Well, the covenant of peace is going to be signed with Israel. And so obviously there's going to be armed conflict in the Middle East. Um, Israel will be in a position of some strength, probably, it looks like. And the Antichrist will swoop in and help sign a peace treaty that um, everybody in the world is going to be like, yay, we love you so much, thanks for doing that for us. And part of that treaty, uh, peace treaty, is going to allow Israel to start doing sacrifices again on the Temple Mount. So um, I'm guessing they're going to throw up a tabernacle. Uh, they're ready right now. They got all the stuff prepped, just exactly according to Scripture. They're ready. They could be tomorrow sacrificing animals. Um, so you don't need a temple building with bricks. You can just throw up a tabernacle tent kind of thing and be, be doing it tomorrow if you want to. And uh, the Orthodox Jews are ready. So when that gets signed, that begins the seven years of tribulation. The, the tribulation actually kicks into gear after the rapture. So, but anyway, so we have the scroll. That's what starts the whole thing, right? Chapter 4 and uh, 5, John sees this scroll with seven seals on it. And they look all over heaven and earth and under the sea and everywhere looking for somebody who's worthy to open this scroll because this is the this is God's plan to bring all this pain and suffering and death to an end and make it right. And they can't find anybody who's worthy. They can't open the scroll. And John begins to weep because if we can't open this scroll, then it's all a mess forever. And finally, one of the, the four elders says, John, stop weeping. There is one who is worthy. It's Jesus, the lamb who was crucified and who rose. He's worthy. So Jesus begins to open the, the seals on the scrolls. We have first, second, third um, seal. Oh yeah, I've got to rearm, rearm myself. So this is the midpoint of the seven years. It doesn't look like it to our Western eyes because it's not the middle. We expect the middle to be like right here, right? But the midpoint of the seven years is right here. At the midpoint is where the Antichrist reveals his true identity. That's why he's pulling away the mask. He's in the temple in Jerusalem or the tabernacle. And he says, uh, I'm actually God. I'm stopping the sacrifices here because now you need to worship me. Worship me, take my mark, 666, or die. And that's why we have um, death right around this horse with a sickle kind of thing. This is when Jews and Christians who refuse to take the mark um, begin to be martyred. And uh, I think on yours is Satan's wrath, right, in the red. So this is, this is really key in Scripture. A lot of people, this is where preachers get confused and, and misinterpret things. 
Bible a number of places. God promises his children, I will I will save you from my wrath. I will not let you go through the wrath. I will save you from the wrath to come. And a lot of people get confused. They think God's telling us he's going to keep us safe from Satan's wrath. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when I pour out my wrath, I will take you out of here before I do that. You will not feel my wrath because you're my precious children. Um, will we... Uh, feel Satan's wrath. Yes, we will. In fact, what are the souls, martyred souls under the altar in heaven, what are they crying out during this time? The fifth seal. They're saying, God, how long? How long are you going to let this go on? And God says, when when the last, when the number is fulfilled, when the number of martyrs is completed, then, then I'll, I'll shut it down. But not yet, so how long? The sixth seal is the signs of the heavens and the earth. The sun goes dark, the moon goes blood red, stars from the sky fall. Jesus comes on the clouds. He doesn't put feet on the earth. Okay, He comes in the clouds and snatches us out of here. The ones out there in the cemeteries, wherever else all around the planet who died in Jesus, they go up first to meet him. We follow behind, go up to meet him. So we're all safe up here having that party in heaven which is Revelation chapter 7. When you read that, that's the 144,000 Jews who are still down here. God seals, sends an angel to seal them so they don't... Um, so when God's wrath is poured out, the 144,000 aren't impacted by it. And all the rest of us are up here safe in God's embrace in heaven, having a feast and a party. Since we're all safe in his care, and 144,000 are safe and sealed, God pours out the trumpets, announce and release, um, begin to release God's wrath on those left behind. So this is the wrath of God, the day of the Lord, being poured out. When does the rapture happen? Sometime after the midpoint, so the latter half of the seven years. We know, yeah, we don't go into too much detail, but uh, it's sometime after the midpoint. So after the rapture, Seven trumpets are blown. When we get to the end of chapter 9, which we finished in, in May, the sixth trumpet is blown, and that's that 200 million demon army, right? <coughs> so go to Revelation chapter 9. Let me show you something on your timelines away. Have you got your markers with you? I added this to my timeline. So that's the fifth trumpet. Second to last one there. Fifth one, sixth one. Fifth one, I put like a little line to it. And in chapter 9, it says, we do the first four trumpets, and then an angel comes down and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You think this is bad? The next three trumpets are really, really terrible. Okay? So the fifth trumpet is the first woe. So I drew a little line on my illustration and wrote fifth trumpet, first woe, and that's actually chapter 8, verse 12. No, 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 no. Sorry, it's chapter 9, first part of chapter 9. Yeah, just say 9, 1. So fifth trumpet is the first woe, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the sixth trumpet, last one you see here in the line, that's the second woe, that's chapter 9, verse 13. 
one thing I noted in my illustration with the fifth trumpet down here below the bell of it in this open white space, I wrote five months. That's how long the fifth trumpet, that's the duration of it. That's those uh, wonderful demonic creatures that sting you and it torments you but it doesn't kill you. And that goes on for five months. Why do I care to know that it's five months? Because that means back up. At the end of seven years, back up at least five months. The rapture has to be before that. Gives us a little idea of timeline. The seventh trumpet isn't blown into, so we got one, two, three, four, five, first woe, six, second woe. The third woe and the seventh trumpet aren't blown until down here. Not until chapter 11. So we got a lot of stuff happening between 9 and 11. Okay, so that's where we're at today. Comments, questions? The second woe would be chapter 9, verse 13. That's the sixth trumpet. The second woe, chapter 9, verse 13. Good. Other questions? Yes. Uh, the parousia is the coming of Christ, and a lot more. I don't even use that word much. I'll have to look it up some more for you. But uh, a big part of that means the coming. So there's kind of uh, steps and levels of Jesus coming. When he comes to the rapture, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't put his feet on the earth. Like, he comes in the clouds and takes us up to him. So later on is when he comes and physically plants his feet on the earth. In fact, we're going to get that, that in chapter 10, possibly. We'll see what we think. Okay, good. Other questions? So we probably went over this before, but I don't remember. Mm -hmm. About it. 144,000 Jews that go up? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know if our labels would fit them very well. Um, and they, they stay on the earth for, for that whole time. So God sends an angel to mark them so they don't get impacted by his, his wrath. And then they're, they're a big part of the, the Jewish contingent that welcomes Jesus. When Jesus actually comes, physically plants his feet in the planet and, and walks he walks into Jerusalem through the east gate to to you know restore everything those hundred and forty thousand come with him. And they're singing the Bible says they're singing a special song that only they can sing. And so uh, some would say that when they're marked they're saved at that moment. Others would say the salvation comes you know soon after. I don't think the Bible nails down for us the moment of their salvation. But, yeah, good question. Right, yeah, yeah. So I would say, yeah. It's tricky. I'd say believers go up in the rapture. So that's why I'm kind of like, well, I don't think they're, say, believers quite yet. Or, because they are 100% Jews, they might be Messianic Jews, but it's not the, the feeling I get from the text. Like I say, I can't point to a verse that nails down the exact moment. Yeah, good question. 
Other questions? All right, now we're now we're ready to go into new territory. Yeah. <laughs> Let's actually pick it up in chapter nine, verse twenty, just to get the, the flavor and the feel where we were in May, and then we'll go into chapter ten, which is new territory. So this is following, this is the aftermath of the sixth angel blowing the sixth trumpet. So that's the second woe. And this is the uh, release of the four angels. They kill a third of the population on earth. Um, let's go down to verse 18. Verse 18. We keep backing up further, Bob. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails. Their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. So that's that 200 million apparently demonic, um, nasty creatures, and they unleash death on a third of mankind. So verse 20, uh, this is fascinating. Let's talk about it for a second. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not what? Repent of the work of their hands. So is there still possibility for repentance and salvation? Sounds like it. Are we seeing revival around the planet? We are not seeing revival. Does this mean that, that nobody repents and gets saved? I can't say that. But the Bible says, you know, in general terms, nobody repented. Uh, which doesn't really shock or surprise me because rapture happened and God says, you know, yeah. So I'm believing that just about everybody who's willing to be saved has said yes to Jesus when the rapture happens, because that's when the wrath of God begins to be poured out. Yes. You're not going to, you know, stand on that, you know, but you're yeah, I don't see in Scripture much indication of salvation after rapture. Uh, I would love to say that I don't in Scripture. I do not see hardly any evidence. Here's a, here's one of the, the main passages says God's done six expressions of His wrath, and the sixth one is really terrible. A third of mankind dies in this one. We're all freaked out about COVID, and I get that, but. You know, what's the percentage of humanity that's passing away from COVID? What is it, one, two percent? So, I mean, a third of the planet dies. And verse 20 says, the rest of mankind still didn't repent. People are like, wow, how do we reach these people? I'm, the impression I'm getting is pretty much unreachable. Hardened hearts, hating God, not willing to repent. So they still didn't repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. So they're rejecting a living God who is actually showing them his righteousness and his power day by day with these outpourings of, of wrath. And they're, they're ignoring the living God who still is offering repentance to them and choosing instead something they can hold on to and manipulate themselves. And I'm not just pointing, you know, we, we need to be careful of this ourselves, of course. Verse 21 says, nor did they repent of their murders, 
their magic arts or sorceries, witchcraft, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So you get the picture of what's life like on planet Earth after the rapture. Pretty rough. It sounds like life right before Noah's flood. It's violent, it's immoral, it's full of um, demonic worship and sorcery and stuff. It, it's a mess. Okay, everybody ready for new stuff? Say, woo -hoo. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw, who saw it? Who's talking here? John, the apostle. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. Who is this mighty angel? Okay, very probable. Wait a minute. Lots of folks think Jesus, and, and I'm one of them. Now, but it says mighty angel. Why doesn't it say Jesus directly? Angel means what? Means messenger. Okay, and it oftentimes refers to Jesus in the Bible, Old Testament, especially. So, what are some other things in this first verse that rightly makes us think it could probably be Jesus? What kind of jumped out at you? Rainbow above his head. So that's from chapter four, verse three in Revelation. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, this John is in, in the heavenly throne room and says, The one who sat there on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. So we know that there's rainbow in heaven around the throne. Here there's a rainbow above this angel's head. I didn't write down passages, but every time cloud is mentioned, in Revelation and some other places in Scripture too. Every time cloud is mentioned, it's always in reference to Jesus in other passages. So that's another clue that leads towards Jesus. What else? Yeah, face like the sun. Let's see, where's that one from? That's chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. There, John is describing who he sees in heaven. He's talking about Jesus. He says in verse 14, His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. So that matches up. His legs were like fiery pillars. So, let's see, there's one more. If you, you can go back if you want to. You don't have to. In, in Ezekiel... Chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Ezekiel's having a vision. He's in heaven. Ezekiel 1, 26 says, Above the, he's seen heaven the throne room. Above the expanse over their heads is what looked like a throne of sapphire. High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. 
Okay, so you put all those things together, and we've got a lot of circumstantial evidence that says this mighty angel is probably Jesus. Some say it could be Michael, the archangel. Um, I, that's a possibility. But Michael, Michael's whole purpose, God designed him to be the protector and defender of his children, Israel and, and Christian believers. And so I don't, when you read through the rest of the chapter, what this mighty angel does, I'm kind of like, I don't know that that really fits with Michael's designed task, what God made him for. So uh, maybe Gabriel kind of thing, but again, it's, it doesn't really, Gabriel is the messenger. Uh, this might line up with Gabriel, possibly. But boy, there's, there's lots of evidence here that it's very probably Jesus. Any other comments or questions on that? Yes. The scroll coming up. Yeah, let's get to that. So, verse 2. He was holding a little scroll. Now, this isn't the, apparently the one with the seven seals is bigger. It's the main one. There's a smaller scroll now. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. So we don't have seals on this one. It's already open. Um, that might lean again towards, uh, like Mary Lou, I think, is hinting that we're looking at Jesus. If Jesus is the one who opens the big scroll and can uh, break the seals and release the contents of it for us, then uh, this one's already open in his hand. That It's probably Jesus unfolding another another level of God's plan, very possible. I'd say maybe probable. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Any ideas what that's, what we're uh, meant to grab a hold of with that? All encompassing, good. Covers the whole earth, uh, land and water. You get the impression that is this uh, that's his mighty angel. As as John is seeing this, is he like our stature, six foot tall, or I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really define for us. But I'm going one one foot on the sea, one on the land. The impression I get is that John's you know majestic, maybe huge in the physical sense. Um, but yeah, I think it's telling us pretty plainly that this angel has authority over the whole planet. So again, to me, it's Jesus. Verse 3, he gave a loud shout like the roar of a what? Roar of a lion. Well, there's two things here. So go back to 5.5, five, Revelation 5.5. Five. There's very little of this in Scripture, though. We, we seem to grab onto it and do a lot with it. We worship and stuff nowadays. But as far as Jesus being the lion, there's only two places in the whole Bible that really kind of refer to that. So Revelation 5 5 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. So in that moment, Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's one more spot, not quite as direct, but still interesting. Hosea chapter 11. So that's way back, Old Testament. Latter, small prophet. I can find it. Uh, 
Hosea. Hosea 11.10. Hosea 11.10 says, They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. That's uh, very possibly a prophecy about uh, the tail end of the seven years, the end times. God bringing back uh, Israelites from Egypt and Assyria. Really interesting prophecy. But jumps out that he says, they, these believers from Egypt and Assyria, will follow the Lord, and the Lord will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come. So this mighty angel with the little scroll in his hand, right foot on the sea, left foot on the land, gives a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. So seven thunders, why the number seven? What's that trying to tell us? Are there seven different voices? Seven is perfect and fulfilled. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit in Revelation is described as the seven spirits and stuff. It's um, the sevenfold spirit. So it doesn't mean that there's seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. It just means the spirit is completely full and perfect and complete. So this is referring probably to whose voice? God the Father himself, right? When he shouted the voices of the seven thunders spoke, verse 4, when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write what, what he's hearing. But I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And we all say what? Seriously? Come on! <laughs> this ever happened before? Yeah. Back in Daniel, chapter 8, verse 26. God's revealing a whole bunch of stuff to Daniel, prophetically. And it says, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given you is true, God speaking to Daniel, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. So God showed Daniel some things, but they and a couple things he said, don't write it down. It's for the distant future, and I don't want that revealed yet. The next verse, 27, says, I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Uh, he was so overwhelmed by what God had shown him. So we, we do have a little history of sometimes prophetic things being sealed up, and God says it's not for right now to reveal that. So we don't know, maybe we should say this a lot. We don't know everything. <laughs> what? <laughs> say this out loud. Pastor Joe doesn't know everything. Okay, this is most certainly true. This is Mark Luther. Okay, anything through verse 4 that I've raised faster questions or comments that come to mind? So what's 
up with this mighty angel that's probably Jesus. Some pretty dramatic stuff here. Verse 5. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. Now, if he's a, yeah, I mean, this could mean different things. Certainly right hand normally means a declaration. If a king raises his right hand, it means what? Yeah, he's about, he's, if you're like Esther and you've come in without permission, um, the king is either giving you permission to come in without dying or whatever. But when a king raises his right hand, it often means a, a solemn declaration is coming forth. He might raise uh, his scepter. When he raises his scepter in his right hand, it means I'm making a pronouncement, a new law, and it will be obeyed immediately. So it would be interesting if it's a mighty angel raising his right hand. If it's Jesus, we really take note. Raise his right hand to heaven, verse 6, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, so this is what the mighty angel declares to God, the Father, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Okay, well, there's a mouthful there, right? No more delay. What's it make it sound like? Okay, it's going to happen soon. And is this something that's been anticipated? For a long, long, long time, maybe? This is big stuff. This is like that half hour of silence before the opening of that trumpet, the sounding of that trumpet. First one over there. So we get the strong sense here that something that has been anticipated for a long, long time is about to be accomplished. There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, so we haven't had that yet, right? Sixth trumpet we looked at, that's the second woe. Sixth trumpet, second woe. Now that we open this, well, Jesus has this small scroll in his hand. He's about, he says, okay, no more delay. And what happened, what we're going to find out, I'll give you a little hint here. So when the seventh trumpet is finally blown, and it's the third woe, the seventh trumpet actually releases the seven bowls of God's wrath to be poured out. And they are poured out apparently in quick succession. So that's why the third woe is a woe. It's super bad. Because seven different expressions of God's final wrath are poured out quickly on the earth. And uh, so when that happens, what's it going to accomplish? He says, in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now, we could, we could stop and probably spend a Sunday looking at all the different passages that speak about the mysteries of God. Um, the gospel is called a mystery. There's a number of different mysteries, okay? Um, when you look at all of Revelation, all the end times prophecies, when you look at Revelation, Israel has a huge role. Uh, the salvation of Israel has a huge role in God bringing everything to completion. So what's... Maybe it's there. Romans, let's go back to Romans chapter 11. Why has, why have the Jews 
in general, not been believing in Jesus this whole time, ever since the cross and the resurrection and stuff. And we know why, what the Bible says why. The Bible says they have been partially hardened so that the Gentiles can be brought in. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. So when the fullness of the Gentiles has been brought in, when, when the Gentile world has gotten saved as much as we can be saved, and God says, okay, great. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna bring my children Israel through the fiery trial. And when they come out the other side, they're gonna be saved. I'm gonna save them. It's gonna, they're gonna go through fiery trials. If they take the mark of the beast and worship him, they're going to hell regardless. But the rest I'm gonna uh, purify them through fiery trials and I'm gonna bring them into salvation. So um, Israel in general has been hard to reach this whole time. That's going to change. So in Romans chapter 11, here's what Paul, all of Romans 11 is Paul pouring his heart out for the Jews who have yet to say yes to Jesus. Paul even says, I'd be willing to go to eternal damnation if I could make the rest of my brothers and sisters in Israel believe. Wow. That's like Moses, right? When Moses said, God, take my name out of the book of life if that will about the rest of Israel who biffed it here with the golden calf. Same kind of level of amazing sacrifice. Then Romans chapter 11, what did I say? Verse 25. <clears throat> Here's what Paul writes. I do not want you to be ignorant of this what? Mystery. What did Revelation 10 say? What did Jesus say is about to happen? Mysteries to be accomplished. Paul here in 25 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, hardening of their hearts, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So what does Paul say the mystery of God is? One of the biggest mysteries is how come the Jews, it's really hard for them to get saved this whole time. It's because God's bringing in the Gentiles. But when the Gentiles salvation has been fulfilled and completed, God says, then I'm going to bring Israel in. I'm going to soften their hearts and bring them back into my embrace. I'm going to save all Israel. Let's see, just a couple minutes here. Questions, comments on the mystery? So when the seventh trumpet is sounded, <clears throat> those seven bowls of God's wrath are rapidly poured out. You see down further down in your illustration you can see these threads of Israelites coming um, to Jerusalem and coming into salvation. Um, during this time we'll find out later in Revelation God's bringing them in. He's gathering them from around the world. He's doing it now to Israel but he's going to gather bring them in. Um, he's going to meet them in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion, some amazing stuff. 
So when that trumpet blows, the rest of the world is going to be experiencing the final outpouring of God's wrath, while God at the same time brings the Israelites into salvation in Jerusalem. I hope we get to watch it and see it from heaven. I think we will. It's going to be, going to be amazing. It's utterly amazing. Okay, let's see. Let's look at our Pastor Joe illustration for a brief moment here to close out. Okay, so here's our mighty angel, you know, glory, cloud, crown, rainbow over his head, one right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. I highlighted Israel, the brown. Um, got a what in his hand? Little scroll and it's open. And he's going to what? Going to roar and bring his children back, the Israelites back for salvation. He says, when that seventh trumpet is blown, the mystery is going to be revealed. That mystery is Israel's salvation, Romans 11. We'll get to this part next time. Okay, comments, questions? Good time to wrap. All right. Super good job. Let's pray. Jesus, we love seeing these pictures of you active in heaven and here on the earth. Thank you for revealing these things to John. It's on purpose. It's really hard for us to grasp what you look like. Your glory, righteousness, the fire of your your righteousness. All those things of God, we are enthralled. And it just makes us long more and more to see you come in the clouds and to meet you. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you've laid out this time to bring us into salvation, to graft us into Israel. We're so humble. We're so thankful. And we do long for and cry out like the Apostle Paul, God, for the salvation of Israel. Thank you, Jesus, for every Jew that, that today hears about Jesus as Messiah and comes to believe. God, thanks for bringing in thousands and thousands of them at the end. We're just going to say with Paul, Father, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, we long for you to come. Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.